Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I am your host, Josh Pappas. And as a reminder, I am the Director of Sales at Tendo. Very excited for episode number six. Excited to welcome a friend, Josh Dumas. Josh is currently the Center Director in Charlotte, North Carolina with an impressive organization, ChenMed, which is a national value-based primary care provider. Uh, they have rapid expansion. He's, uh, you know, very helpful in being able to help that. Uh, Josh and I connected um, around the Advancement League at the Young Health Leaders Summit, which we'll dig into some of this episode. Um, Josh is originally from Connecticut. Um, he got his MHA from Cornell University. And uh, before Chen Med, Josh spent significant time working with both Sutter Health and Kaiser Permanente. So he is a very valuable resource around all things healthcare, but particularly as we look to explore episode six and the next couple episodes, the fee-for-service versus value-based care. Make sure to follow Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room and subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or right there on Substack. Enjoy episode six. Excited to welcome to the podcast, Josh Welcome. It's excited to see you again. Last time we were uh, together, I guess it was at the uh, the Advancement League uh, Young Health Leaders Summit, which was a blast. Um, you know, more 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 to come on this year's. Uh, that's exciting. So, welcome to the podcast. I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. No, absolutely appreciate you having me, man. Great to see you. Great to see you smile. Uh, looking forward to us, you know, being in person again. And uh, uh, but you no, know, thanks for uh, you know inviting me to come on here and talk a little bit and uh, you know talk a little shop, but. Uh, Joshua Dumas is my full name. Uh, Joshua Dumas Owens is my full name. Uh, currently a center director uh, for ChenMed, a value-based primary care provider here um, in America. And we are growing in uh, a lot of the work that I'm currently doing now is really supporting operations and our sales strategy um, on a very frontline and local level. Um, outside of that, uh, Connecticut native, Bridgeport, Connecticut native, and uh uh, a nomad now, I move a lot and get the opportunity to see a lot of different cities and countries, or not countries yet, but a lot of different cities and counties and states around around the U.S., And uh, but uh, Connecticut's my home, and I always like to give Bridgeport a nice shout out. Awesome, man. Yeah, and I know when we connected, we, um, you know, you, you even more than me kind of talked about uh, how your sports background has, uh, you know, kind of helped you transition and pivot into the healthcare side of things. So um, I guess... You know, from a from an icebreaker before we dig in onto the juicy, you know, value based topics of the uh, of, of the day, I uh, would love for you to just kind of, you know, what what, what memory stands out, you know, when you were at sports, and then maybe if you could go to dinner um, with any kind of current or former NFL player with the Super Bowl coming up, um, you know, who would who, who would that be? Man, uh, well, I played football. Model. I'm the, I'm probably the biggest football fanatic in the world. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm a Dallas Cowboys. Uh, fanatic, and, but uh, <laughs> my favorite memory uh, playing sports, you know, I have a vivid memory of high school football. If you haven't played high school football, it's really hard to explain how much of a permanent impression that leaves like on you, like as an adult, no matter how old you get that brotherhood that you get in uh, on a high school football team is very different. Um, but I remember really specifically, we had a triple overtime a triple overtime game against one of our, our state rivals. And, you know, the two of us were like, you know, considered the best in the conference. And we went three overtimes in a row. I had separated my shoulder 
And we ended up losing in triple overtime. And it's my favorite memory just because of how intense the game was. You would have thought we all thought we were in the league ourselves. <laughs> um, it was the most intense game of football I've ever played in, in my life. And I made it to college football, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, hey, exactly. Like, even though it was a loss, it was, you know, the time when, like, you see the togetherness of a team and triumph and, 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 and we should have won anyways, you know, they, uh, they cheated, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, isn't it funny? Cause you know, before you answer the dinner question, I, I completely agree. Right. And, um, I stopped at, at high school football. Um, but it, it's, it's unlike, it's unlike anything else. It's, it's kind of like you just said, hard to describe, but I find myself, whether, I, whether I'm thinking about it or not, a lot of those, you know, lessons, which you would think wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, transpire, they transpire in my everyday, you know, health career, sales career, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I think for me, it was, I was super fortunate. Um, I kind of had a Friday night lights, uh, you know, type environment where my dad was athletic director, basketball coach. Uh, my young, my younger, my younger brother was the quarterback of the team. He was a sophomore when I was a senior. Mom was a guidance counselor. So we basically just left my real house to the bigger house, which was, you know, the high school. But, uh, but su- super now looking back, you know, and he's in medical. He's actually, uh, you know, dermatologist PA, but uh, super fortunate to, you know, homecoming, have him throw me a touchdown, right? And can't remember a lot of things, but, you know, those are the types of ones that, um, you know, you close your eyes and remember time, place, atmosphere, um, which is good. So, all right, well, what about, you know, dinner, any any current or former? I, I have to imagine it might be a cowboy, but uh, pretty yeah, awesome. Um, my favorite player ever is Des Bryant. He's my favorite player ever. I have a thing for uh, freaks, like physical, like in sports, I like freaks, right? If I, like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I don't want the person that like has good technique and they're just good at their job. I want the person that's going to change the game every time the ball is anywhere near them. You know, Des is uh, used to, to this day. I think he's one of the best go up and get it receivers ever. Um, and I'm a big fan of like you know uh, players that find a way to find success without conforming, I guess, to like a specific uh, archetype of player. And Des Bryant, you know, even when he was at Oklahoma State, he was always like unapologetically himself. Um, and then came into the league and continued that and I respected it and I admire it. And that's what I want to do in my own career and continue to be myself, have my personality, have my fun and be great and be an all pro, whatever the all pro equivalent is in healthcare. That, that's that, that's the goal. So sit down and talk shop with him and, uh, talk some Cowboys. Yeah, no, that, that, that would be good. Cause I, you know, I, was, I played both, both sides of the ball, which is fun, but I really enjoyed the defensive side of ball, believe it or not. Um, you know, which is good. So I'd probably maybe go like, Palomalo or, you know, somebody that just kind of wrecks habit that's maybe a little bit, you know, undersized. I wasn't necessarily the biggest person there. But um, and then I joke my two younger brothers, they both played quarterbacks. So I joke that I'm the only person in the family that actually played real football, uh, you know, because, you know, the quarterbacks, they, they would hang around with the kickers and stuff. They didn't have to do anything really. Um, but um, well, good, man. No, that's that's, that's that's super interesting. So let's dig into some topics. Um, you know, if for those of you who's first time listening, um, we really have some healthcare specific topics, a couple different segments, uh, try to have some fun, but really dig in deep on some some different healthcare topics. And so the first one we have, we do a top 10, bottom 10. Um, and so we'd love your perspective on um, your being kind of, you know, on, on the vendor side, your best and kind of worst or, you know, maybe um, not so good um, experience, either dealing with vendors, being sold to, um, you know, projects that had the most, you know, benefits, and then maybe one that wasn't wasn't the best. Take it anyway. You know, no, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. Um, operations, you know, typically, especially like in organizations like mine, typically operations and sales are never like 
together. They're not the same thing. They're two different teams that are managing them. You know, our company is a little bit different where I'm also expected to manage my sales as well. So it's not just, you know, once the sales team gives us our patients and then we take care of our patients, we go find our patients too. Um, and it's all about broker relations management. It's all about, you know, business to business, a lot of business to consumer sales. But the best sales uh, experience being sold to are a lot of the third party vendors that come in and offer us services, whether they're specialty care practices or whether they're lawn care companies. And, you know, we had just were given the, the responsibility of we're managing you know, everything, whether the sales out or the sales in, that's our responsibility. And for me, I'm really big on how do I achieve my business goal, but also, you know, help, help, help people. And I, and with that, I'm really big on small businesses. Um, I, if I can invest in a small business before I invest in a very large national re- uh, vendor, I would, that's what, that's what I would love to do. Right. And, but it's typically harder to, 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 to make that happen. Um, whether it's like a, you know, just a cost thing or whether it's just a scale thing, it's typically harder to do that. And one day we had a potential vendor walk into the office and I have never met someone so upfront, so bold and so prepared to get a yes from me in that moment. It was his small business. Um, and he has been spending like the last like few months going door to door to businesses saying, here's what I do. I'll give you a demo for free. Here's what it is. I will give me a week and I'll prove it to you. You won't say no. And that level of confidence that he had in himself caught my attention. And now we're great partners and we work together for everything. And, and, and I think, you know, I've never, I've, I, I consider myself not easily influenced and not easily sold to. I've never said yes so fast. <laughs> oh, but no. Isn't that amazing? Great. Preparation. And, um, you know, I think it's cool too, because you guys have unique kind of, you know, obviously get back to the patients in the community, but then also too, it's almost like an ecosystem within the, the communities that you guys serve, right? Which could be patients and small businesses. All right. Well, what about the, um, what about the flip side? Right. And, um, you know, usually this is to hopefully help, you know, vendors and people, um, you know, sell better to organizations like you. So what, what was maybe the, the not so good moments? Yeah. Um, the not so good as it's, you know, our company's interesting where even though we're, we're not a nonprofit, you know, so, you know, we have to succeed financially as a business, but at the end of the day, like as a value-based uh, care organization, you know, all of our incentives are aligned to keep our patients healthy, happy, and at home. You know, um, everything that we do. And when you have leaders go, actually, I speak for myself, leaders like myself, you know, I don't compromise, I guess, that. Um, so a lot of the challenging experiences are, you know, when a product may be great, you know, the product may be great, um, but I'm big on service um, because I, I'm, especially if it involves my patients. And if I want, if you're going to be interacting with my patients, I want to be able to assure my patients that they will receive the same level of service from our vendors that they will receive from us directly. Um, and, you know, and that was a, a very big come to Jesus moment with one of our vendors. We're like, hey, look, I love what you have to offer, but you have to give the same level of customer service to my patients as if they as if they were me. Um, otherwise, you know, we're not making following through on the promise that we're making to our staff. So that was, you know, it was challenging because it required a lot of like, hey, but the quality of the product is great, but really speaking to like why the relationship is just important as the product itself too. Um, and it ended up working out, but it just took a, it was challenging. 
it was challenging and it took a lot of revamping our sales process. Yeah, no, that's, I, I, I love the perspective there because I do think that, you know, it's not always one in the same, right? But typically, you know, typically when you challenge good, you know, products or good teams, then, um, you know, they can level up the service, right? Or um, I, I found that sometimes, you know, trying to level up the service is maybe easier than leveling up the product, right? Because the product is like, you know, building a house, right? Where, um, where, where the service, so kudos to you guys to challenge it. And, and, and I know we'll get into it later, but uh, kind of the, you know, the ChedMed model, but I think it is unique and we're starting to see more and more, right? Where it's got to make sense for not just organizational goals, but, you know, down to, you know, individuals, members, pay, patient goals. So that's awesome. So um, switching Absolutely. gears here. Uh, we do kind of Mount Rushmore health leaders. So um, interested in just kind of four leaders that um, either you admire now or kind of helped uh, shape. And, and normally it's like, oh, I'm going to leave X, Y, and Z off the list. Uh, but just interesting kind of the flavor right now. Um, what, are, what are some leaders um, for you as a healthcare leader that you admire? So two definitely pop to the top of my mind. Um, I'm going to hopefully as I talk, the next two will pop up. Um, one, uh Oh man, Nancy Schlichten um, is going to be the first name that's, that I, that I bring up. Um, for those that don't know, Nancy Schlichten is the former uh, CEO of Henry Ford Health, Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. Um, you know, was I think she's one of the first to have a hospital or a health system win the uh, was it the Barbers Quality Award, um, which is mm-hmm. rare to have a healthcare organization win a such a high standard quality award. Um, and overall, such an amazing person. So she goes there. Um, frankly, you know, she was a executive resident on my grad program, um, and I got the opportunity to like, really meet and get to know her philosophy and her leadership philosophy. Um, but she's someone who has found a way to succeed um, and and push through so many barriers as a woman navigating a career in healthcare um, without ever compromising any of the values or expectations or boundaries that she had for herself. And she still has an amazing reputation as a great leader and a great human, which is something I aspire. I want to be as good as a healthier leader as I am a person. Um, and 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 that is one. Um, the rest of my Mount Rushmore, uh, Bernard Tyson uh, is the second name. Um, Bernard Tyson is the reason why I had the confidence to choose a career in healthcare in the first place. Um, I'm a you know as a as a black man, uh, you don't see a lot of uh, Black health care executives leading extremely large company. And then you have Bernard Tyson trailblazing the way, leading the largest value-based care organization in the country. Um, and they are a monster and a beast, and every value-based care company wants to figure out how to be Kaiser. Um, and that's because of his leadership. And, you know, I got to, uh, you know, meet the late Bernard Tyson before he passed away um, when I worked for Kaiser Permanente and had some really great FaceTime and advice and mentorship from him. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 He's a legend, right? And it's someone I look up to and someone that I that I aspire to have the same impact with. The next two will be are definitely harder. Um are, are definitely much harder. Um this is an unpopular opinion and and I doubt this will be believed or accepted by much, but Barack Obama, hundred percent. Um and that's simply because of uh the Obamacare. Um it's simply because of how big of a change that was and how you know, there would be no Medicare Advantage. There would be no value-based care the way that it is now. You know, the conversations that we're having about health care and policy and all of these ways that we can make sure that people are well being well taken care of, but the healthcare system isn't being inefficient. These conversations wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the ACA. Um, whether it's perfect or whether it's broken or fixed or not, that's that's a different conversation. But 
the fact that it brought attention to U.S. healthcare infrastructure, um, it's still uh, the implications of the ACA are still being talked about today. What is it? Um, way more than 10 years, 15 years later. Um, mm-hmm. Number four, I'm not sure. That'll take some time for me to think of. But those there are we go. Time. Yeah, well, I'll, 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 th- I'll throw a plug in for you because your organization is fortunate enough to have, you know, what I would consider, um, you know, some of the some of some of the trailblazers and leaders, right? You know, some home cooking. Mm-hmm. But I know I know outside looking in and, and for many people, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. But um, there's a lot of, you know, great uh, healthcare leadership um, right there uh, with your organization, Chen Med. So probably too many to, to list here, but um, but I, I've always outside looking in, um, admired uh, kind of the work that they've done and in um, and, and, and that avenue. No, yeah, absolutely. I was trying not to be biased and uh, <laughs> doing my best to be as objective as possible, but no, definitely a company has some pioneers in this in this industry and it's 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 awesome to to be a part of their their shit that they're pioneering all right man well yeah so now let's get into the nitty-gritty right so we do mj versus lebron debate where uh you know the the the, the typical debate where we try to you know add a healthcare flavor to it and so this one is one we're going to actually explore across you know multiple episodes um, but, um, the one that I'd love to dig in with you, and I'm sure you got, you know, endless passion on is fee for service versus value based care. Uh, I, I have an idea where you might find, um, on this side, um, but just interested in wherever you want to take it. Um, you know, obviously you have deep experience in here, but, um, yeah. you know, with, with, with your work so far, um, kind of talk, talk through that fee for service versus value based care, um, anywhere you want to start. No, first of all, it's a perfect analogy, right? MJ versus LeBron, and it's uh, it's two different perspectives on what greatness means. And, and in reality, they're a lot more similar than anybody wants to admit. And that's why, you know, I think it's a amazing analogy. Going to preface everything that I say from now going forward, that this is all Josh Dumas speaking. This is not Chen Med speaking. This is not, you know, anyone that is affiliated with my employer speaking. This is all my unadulterated raw thoughts. Um, 100%. <laughs> but I do, I do feel, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work in a both fee-for-service world and a value-based care world. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, with Sutter Health as an administrative fellow. I'm at uh, California Pacific Medical Center, which is a four-campus tertiary quaternary uh, uh, medical center that uh, has to serve, you know, the, the heart of uh, San Francisco. Um, and then transitioning to working for Kaiser, you know, the pioneer of value-based medicine and fully capitated models and fully integrated systems. And, you know, now ChenMed, where, you know, we are, you know, trying to be the pioneers of, you know, value-based primary care and fully capitated full-risk models. Um, and how do we uh, succeed here? Um, so, you know, with all these experiences, the one thing that I can say, healthcare is supposed to take care of people, um, period. You know, take business to the side for a second, you know, the purpose of healthcare is to take care of people. Um, in a perfect world, healthcare would be even better if we can keep people healthy versus waiting until they get sick. And now that, you, and then bringing back the system itself in, you know, healthcare is only going to do what it's financed to do. Um, that is how everything in the world, or at least in a capitalist world works. If it's not being financed, it's not going to be incentivized to or prioritized. Um, and a value-based care, specifically a full risk model, um, the incentives are to keep our patients as healthy as possible in a primary care world. Um, 
In a primary care world, our goal is we don't want our patients to touch secondary, tertiary, quaternary levels of medicine if it's not necessary. So let's do everything that we can to keep our patients healthy. So of course it makes sense to capitate our revenue so that we're incentivized to manage them as best as we possibly can now before passing the buck off to the next level of care because we would have to pay for that next level of care. But on the other side, fee-for-service makes sense in a tertiary quaternary world, right? You know, when you have very high levels, highly specific care that's needed, it makes sense that we want to make sure that we're incentivizing the highest level of of care by paying the, the highest level of that care. Technology is expensive. You know, the reality is a lot of those things are expensive. Um, so my position here is we need both, <laughs> um, but they should be separated from primary care infrastructure and actual sick care. Um, if we separated, you know, well care and health and, and health maintenance and separated that from sick care instead of just seeing it as one big healthcare, then this debate may actually be 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 solved. But if I had to choose one, it's going to be you know value based care just because of how much easier it is to align the incentives and 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 reach your clinical goals just as much as you want to reach your financial goals at the same time. Yeah, no, that's that's super insightful, and I, I I completely agree. And I think that you know those of you right, um, there's lots of organizations out there doing it. I mean, if we uh, look at the news now, but um, but but I think being the trailblazers of understanding the importance of that, you know, kind of primary care as a starting place, but then also too, is really determining like what is true value, right? And I think that some of the ones are further further along on being able to do that, and um, and we'll dig in. So you know, on that note, right. Um, what are some of your, Josh's, not necessarily, um, you know, predicting the future crystal bar, um, you know, what are some of your predictions for value-based care and where you, you know, where you see it going um, in the, in, in kind of the short term? And then I'm interested too, on maybe some perspective of, you know, you started at, at Kaiser and then now you've seen it, like, like, what are some of the, the, the biggest changes you've had maybe around, you know, the patients, um, you know, p- patients or clinicians perspective of it, um, in your opinion? Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, to, to, to the first person predictions. Um, you know, we're in a world right now where we're seeing that payers are wanting to become providers now. Um, I think everyone wants a piece of the Medicare Advantage pie before that pie disappears. Um, before it was ChenMed, right? It was ChenMed doing Medicare Advantage. We're growing like crazy. You know, we had a couple other very small players that were competing with us. Now we're competing against CVS with their Oak Street, with the potential Oak Street deal. Now we're competing with uh, Village Medical with their deal with Walgreens. And now we're competing with Walmart and their Walmart Health Initiative. Everyone wants a piece of the pie, and it's not just startups anymore. Now the big players want to be a part of this. So I don't have a prediction. I do just know that there's a lot of people with a lot of capital that are trying to get in here and make it work. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this market gets a little oversaturated soon and there's a couple big dogs left at the top um, versus, you know, a million different smaller value-based organizations around. Um, a lot of consolidation. I, I expect to see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, acquisitions because um, everyone wants a piece of this pot. Um, everyone wants to, it works, right? It, it works and the outcomes are showing and now everyone wants in. But on the other end, I wouldn't. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of uh, VC and a lot of uh, uh, typical VC firms that have been throwing a lot of money into these, you know, 
value-based startups, I wouldn't be surprised to see that come to a halt. Um, things are getting expensive. Hospitals are raising their prices. And a lot of the startups that had a very niche model, they're realizing how expensive it is to, to scale um, and, and, and how difficult it really is to scale when you, are, when you don't have that already. And maybe we'll see a shift in what's the shiny new toy from our, our venture capitalists and, and, and investment firms. What's that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, this is just my prediction, right? And I think this is not just in the value-based care organization, but I think the advantages is the, you know, um, is, is those that have been in there understand, you know, maybe, maybe what that true value is. And then more importantly, then to me, if it becomes, you know, more, call it status quo in, in a sense, then, then true experience and membership and quality of doctors, you know, you're not just, you're not just out there on an Island, right. Then that all, that all comes full circle and starts to matter more and more and more as it is with common themes on patient experience just in general. Right. But to me, that's the advantage of, you know, call it the, um, you know, some of the ones that like, like you guys and some others that have been in there is, you know, you've already have those particularly around PCP, those deep rooted relationships. And so, you know, it, it will allow almost that to shine out, right. Where the experience matters. Hey, we already have a built experience, right. That um, you can't, can't necessarily, you know, by relationships and experience, right? I always, I always liken it to the, uh, to, to the masters, right? Where you know you can't buy your way, you know, in membership into in, in, into the masters, right? It, it, it's it's truly an experience, right? And it is based on relationships. So, um, well, good. Well, and then yeah, before we get to some advice for kind of a rookie healthcare leader, um, how how, how things change, right? And and um, in terms of clinicians and patients' view on what is value based care as kind of the buster. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I am a much larger proponent of fully capitated models than just like the blanket term of like value-based care. You know, there's a lot of different ways to make it work, whether it's shared savings, whether it's, you know, you know, more of an ACO model, whatever, whatever that is, what, you know, the putting the ownership on the, on the provider, you know, allowing the provider to have a lot more autonomy you know, not only empowers them and, you know, frankly, like you see, and I can speak to primary care more than anywhere else. Um, primary care was always seen as the specialty that no one wanted to go into because there was no glitz, there's no glamour and there's no money there. You know, when you have a value based care world, now you're there's a lot more capital, right? There's a lot more opportunities to resource uh, primary care. Um, there's a lot more authority that your PCPs have instead of just being a referral pipeline. Um, so now the the desire to want to be an internal medicine physician or to be a primary care uh, physician is a lot higher um, versus it being somewhere that people settled. You know, before primary care used to be somewhere you go if you want to scratch your your, your itch to to help people, but you're compromising your your professional aspirations, I guess. In a value-based care world, you don't have to compromise. You can be a great take care of people and still be very successful in your career at the exact same time. Um, and you're seeing that reflected in our physician leaders here in ChenMed. You know, we stress physician leadership here. So a lot of our PCPs that come are PCPs that not only just want to practice medicine and see patients, but they want to lead their teams. They want to, and, and that's the change. And that's the mentality that we're seeing shifting, where we're encouraging all of our doctors to be leaders and take ownership of their panels versus just, uh, oh, you're not a surgeon, so you don't really have any any, any clout here. Um, no, you are a PCP. You are the, the, the biggest dog here, and we follow your lead. 
Yeah, that's that, that. I think that has ripple effects, you know, across the organization, but then, you know, particularly in primary care all the way down the patients, families. Um, so that's fantastic to hear. And um, all right, well, we do it. Advice for rookie healthcare leader. Uh, I think this one's near and dear to you and I, you know, because we're involved with Antoine and Alex there at the Advancement League. It's where we met. Um, Advancement League obviously is doing, you know, fantastic for kind of that blend of people looking to get into digital health. And I'm sure there's lots of other organizations out there, but um, interested in your perspective because you kind of went, I would say, you know, the traditional route. But um, if you had advice for, you know, things that are changing and just somebody who is maybe even coming out of, you know, college basketball, college football, wants to get into healthcare, where are some of those areas? What are some of the advice you'd have for what, you know, could be kind of the, the new age healthcare as we look at it two to five years down the road? No, for sure. I think more than ever, healthcare is a relationship business, right? Um, I've had a lot of, I've moved seven, eight times in the last few, in the last few years. Um, and a lot of that was in pursuit of opportunities that wouldn't have even made themselves available if it weren't for my intentionality behind building relationships with people. Um, so if you're a rookie healthcare leader and you want to learn something, you have to put yourself out there, ask questions, you know, be hungry and let your fire show versus, uh, uh, staying in your silo or staying in what you're comfortable with or what you're good at. Um, build as many relationships, be intentional about meeting people. When I was an intern in Kaiser, I made it a mission uh, to meet three people every week for the entire 12 weeks that I was there. Um, three new people every week. Um, half of those people that I've connected with have you know, been able to help me in my career to this day. Um, because of the relationships that I have and being able to pick up the phone and ask a question and, you know, not have to worry about how you look or how you're worried about. So advocate, advocate for yourself and build as many relationships as possible, ask as many questions as possible. And sky's the limit. Healthcare is ever changing. You never know um, what's going to happen uh, five years from now. Yeah, no, I, I love that advice because I think that sometimes people get the wrong idea of networking as let me, you know, go leave my house, get out of my comfort zone, you know, which all are, are good if, if that's your flavor, right? You know, to go meet people or do that. But for some people that's, you know, could be daunting. But what you just said is, is so simplistic. And I think people sometimes miss is talk to, you know, talk to your peers, talk to people in your own organization and, um, mm -hmm. that is just an easy way, whether it's a, you know, hundred person startup or, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, for, fortune company. I think that that's sometimes missed because the day to day you're in the trenches. Right. But it's a much different conversation when, um, you have conversation, it's not happening to be like, you know, Hey, how's your day or how's your family? But it's like, Hey, you know, Hey, here's why I am my career. How'd you get to your, you know, your place. Um, so I, I love that advice because I think more and more people are trying to, in a virtual world, create those connections and, and, and seek those out. But hey, they're, they're, they're right in your own backyard at your own organization. And um, the best part about that is, is it strengthens, if anything else, you know, your kind of work relationships in the short term. But as I think you and I have both seen, the long-term benefits of, you know, one or two of those conversations is, is, is worth setting out some time to do and, and everybody's busy today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, the final, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but now uh, we kind of do an on the clock, uh, you know, plug for your company, right? So this is, um, you know, if, if, if you want to, um, putting your chin med hat on, um, you know, what's what's interesting about what you guys are doing and anything that you want to, you know, kind of promote um, with, with some things going on, um, you know, with, with, with chin med. 
Absolutely. Um, I happily, shamelessly plug uh, this organization and the opportunities that we have here. You know, we are growing. Um, I have the opportunity to manage North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, and uh, a little bit of purview here in Ohio. Um, and, you know, I wanted to at least make it very known here that our organization is, is, is slightly different than your typical primary care company or your typical healthcare organization. Um, it's an organization that is fast paced. We operate quickly like a startup. You know, our sense of urgency in terms of uh, growing, executing our mission and our commitment to our core model that uh, produces great outcomes is, is, is unrivaled. And that sense of urgency doesn't change no matter how much we succeed or how much we win. But with that, I mentioned before, our incentives are aligned. Um, lots of times you find healthcare leaders that are torn, right? You either want to make a lot of money and have a great career or I want to help people. And that always felt, feels like a, a, a trade off that you're going to have to make. And there's no trade-off in, in, in this world where, you know, the better you are at helping people, whether it's your staff or whether it's your patients or whether it's your physicians, um, the more successful you're going to be. And because we incentivize everything according to how well we take care of people. If, if our patients aren't going to the hospital, we're incentivized to win financially. If our staff is engaged, we're incentivized to win financially. If our PCPs are happy, we're incentivized to win, uh, we're incentivized to win financially. And, and there's no better place, especially for our early careers here, um, to grow, to learn, um, and to, to, to not worry about compromising uh, career growth at the same time. Uh, and to our clinicians, potential clinicians on here, we're hiring PCPs. We're looking for very, very, very uh, uh, motivated and, and, and hungry physicians that want a little bit more ownership, a little bit more opportunity to lead their teams and lead their panels without having to worry about having a massively large panel. So all of our PCPs keep their panels small, no more than 450 patients so that they can actually give their patients the time that they need to love on them and keep them healthy. So if you're interested, give me a holler. My name is Joshua Dumas. My email is joshua.dumas at chenmed.com. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'll make sure and uh, post in the show notes um, information on where to find more around ChenMed, connect obviously with you, Josh. And before we go, uh, you know, making of the sauces, we're, we're recording this before the uh, before the Super Bowl. So um, I haven't done this yet, but let's let's get a Super Bowl prediction here. And then, you know, this will this will be published after the Super Bowl. So we'll either both be very smart or uh, act like we don't know, you know, what's going on with football. But who you got, Eagles or Chiefs? There's no, there's no way, there's no reality where I will ever root for, root for Philly. So I have, <laughs> I have Chiefs, uh, 35-21. Let's do it. There we go. I, I, you know, I, I joined a uh, Tendo back in November, and uh, we have a you know big, big presence in the Philly area, along with Tech Cubs in Salt Lake City and San Francisco. So it was funny. We had you know the Philly people beating the San Francisco, um, but I, I'm going to probably go the other way, um, just because you know we're 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 heading out uh, to a, to a uh, company meeting. So I I think it's going to actually be a shootout. I think the the ankle with with, with Mahomes, uh, he can probably prove me wrong, right? But I would love like a thirty eight, thirty five, just nice, clean game, high scoring, and and, and a fun one. Um, but I'm gonna go Eagles, so one of us will be right. Hopefully, it's me. You know, I don't want, I don't need them catching up to Dallas, but. No, I appreciate you. Know, right? Yeah, you know, you, you you don't need to hear, hear hear all that as a Dallas fan. That'd be a tough, you know, tough tough off season and year to have to hear all that um, noise. Oh, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So hopefully Mahomes pulls through. <laughs> um, 
but no. Well, no, thank so you for the time, man. It was, it was, it was, it was really enlightening. Um, and look forward to staying uh, connected, you know, with you. Um, obviously people will reach out, uh, but look forward to following all the uh, exciting updates on Chin Med. So thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I appreciate your support. If you're interested, make sure to follow, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or write on Substack. And make sure if you're interested to subscribe and share digitalhealthlockerroom.substack.com for some more podcasts and weekly newsletter updates on all topics around digital health and sales.